I believe we were this close to announcing a deal between President Clinton, Bill Archer, and Newt Gingrich. And if those three people had agreed on a Social Security fix, I think it could have gone through Congress in six months. So you you talked, I, the talks I've heard you live, you've really laid out the train wreck we have with all the unfunded liabilities, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. You talk about a story. I don't know if you want to talk about it publicly here about you having a legit solution and you were this close to working with Bill Clinton's administration to be able to solve Social Security. So I, I want to just hand it over to you. Like right now, I look at this and it's depressing because it's like neither Republicans or Democrats want to talk about this. And it's a massive issue and it nobody even wants to talk about it. And so my question number one is give us a little backstory and context and it'd be fun to hear your story. And number two is legitimately what is going to happen? Because I don't, we can't afford for something to get bankrupt. Like there would be blood on the street. So what, how is that going to actually translate and how as investors and people that want to be good stewards of their money, how can we take something that's like actually a train wreck ready to happen and be best positioned? So let me first talk about what you alluded to, which was an effort to try and fix social security all the way back in 1998. And one of the key things to understand about social security in terms of solutions is it's all about the time value of money. That's not true of the Medicare problems because in the case of Medicare, it's very difficult to predict where healthcare costs are going. And there are a wide range of views. Some people think they might actually go down as we perfect various techniques in medicine. Other people think they're going to skyrocket because we come up with these great medicines, but they cost a zillion dollars to develop. So Medicare is really hard. Social security is not that complicated because the moving parts aren't that complicated. We basically know the size of the labor force. We know what it's generating in terms of social security taxes. We can predict what interest rates are. But if it turns out interest rates are higher, that probably means wages are higher, which means incoming taxes into the Social Security Trust Fund are higher than expected. It also means outgoing benefits may be higher, but those things tend to moderate one another. So if, in, the, in 98, we were running huge surpluses. People really can't even believe that what I'm about to say is true. But in Jan on January 2001, the 10-year projected surplus of the federal government was $5.6 trillion. The 10-year projected surplus. Alan Greenspan, who was then head of the Fed, was wringing his hands because he was very nervous about what was going to happen when we paid off all federal debt, which was projected to happen in about eight months or eight years, okay? where would we put the money? Because Greenspan was very opposed to having the federal government invested in the private equity markets for reasons that are probably obvious. If the federal government's invested, they're going to start telling how to do their job, et cetera, et cetera. Let me just say we solved Alan Greenspan's problem because we had 9-11, we blew through a lot of money. But back in 98, we were looking at surpluses for as far as the eye could see. And I left being chief of staff of the Joint Committee on Taxation in uh, January of 98 to go back into private practice where I had come from. I was a tax lawyer in private practice before a couple times, then I was at Ways and Means. But anyway, so I'm going back into private practice, but Bill Archer, who was chairman of Ways and Means, and Newt Gingrich, who was a speaker, 
came to me and said, we want you to try and work out a reform to social security with the Clinton administration. And I had a pretty good relationship with the Clinton administration. Ironically, one of the guys was Gene Sperling, who's now in the Biden administration. But I had a good relationship with them because we had done the 97 budget deal, which is what paid off the deficit. And so we had a good working relationship. So they told Gene Sperling and Larry Summers, who was secretary of the treasury at the time, Ken Keyes is the guy that we want to try and figure out, work with you to see if we can figure out a deal. I'll give credit to the Clinton people. They gave me complete access to the social security actuary, who's a guy who's named Steve Goss then, and he still is. And in the, on the period from February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, I would send Steve Goss variations on our proposal at 10 at night because I had a day job and I would get back his runs on whatever new variation I had sent at 4 a.m. in the morning. I don't think the guy ever slept. And so I was trying to perfect what we were willing to go to the Clinton administration. We went to them in late September, early October. And I still remember going into the White House like 10 o'clock at night to meet with Gene and I think Larry Summers was there. And we, and, and by the way, they had told Steve Goss, do not tell us what he's asking you for. Okay, they, and, they, and I could trust them. So I walk in, I show them what we're proposing and they basically go, that's what we've been thinking. And I knew we were off to the races. And in early December, there was a White House conference on social security. Day one was a bunch of public speeches. So a lot of members of Congress giving speeches. Day two was closed and there were only four private sector people in there. It was John, or, or it was me, Marty Feldstein, who was a famous economist from Harvard, who unfortunately has died. A guy named Bob Greenstein, who was a pretty left-wing activist in Washington, and a guy who was former head of the CBO, Bob Reichauer. And the rest of it was members of Congress, the president, the vice president, Bob Rubin, secretary of the treasury, the whole team. And I believe we were this close to announcing a deal between President Clinton, Bill Archer, and Newt Gingrich. And if those three people had agreed on a social security fix, I think it could have gone through Congress in six months. And literally, as we were approaching what I think was that possibility was when the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke and it basically occupied the white house for an entire year and by the time impeachment was over it was basically too late and to this day whenever i see bill archer and i still see him fair amount it, it's inevitably he says we missed the opportunity of a generation because the deadline for the social security trust fund now running out of assets is 2033 so we are within 10 years. Imagine if we had got a jump on fixing the problems in social security in 2019 or 2020, it would have been so much less painful. Now, having said that, I'm confident that they will figure out a way. It's not going to be easy. And some of the solutions that keep getting talked about, they just don't understand, don't work. So one that gets thrown around all the time is, we need to raise the social security eligibility age. And the story goes like this. 
when Social Security was first created, the eligibility age was X and the average life expectancy was Y, but they were really close together. By the way, actually when Social Security was created, it's hard to believe that actuary and joke fit in the same word, <laughs> sentence, but it was a bad actuarial joke because the average life expectancy was slightly less than the eligibility age for Social Security, yeah. which meant on average, no one was going to live long enough to get Social Security, but very actuarially sound as a result. Okay. Yeah. So flash forward to today, people will say back then, average life expectancy was X, it's now up here Y, we need to raise the eligibility age and that'll fix everything. What the Social Security action grades will tell you is you can do that. And there are two trust funds in Social Security. One is the disability fund and the other is yep. the old age retirement fund, basically pays the pension benefit. If you do what I just described, you will save money in the pension fund because people have to wait longer to get their Social Security benefits. But the actuaries, at least back in 98, and I don't think it's changed, will tell you you'll lose all that money because the disability fund will experience a much greater demand. Because the reality is that there are people, you know, in their 60s, late 60s, they just can't keep working, particularly blue collar workers, but, but also white collar workers. It's so it's this notion that there's these easy solutions to fixing social security is just plain wrong. And, and also by if, if you actually raise the eligibility age, it would become a racially divisive issue because the average life expect expectancy for African-Americans is about five years less than for Caucasian Americans. So if you were actually raising the eligibility age, it would disproportionately fall on African-Americans. Yeah. And that's a non-starter. Are you able to disclose what the actual solution was in 1998 that, that you guys were this close or is that, is it, and can we ap apply some of the principles back then to today or is it, did we just miss the mark altogether? Okay. So I can describe part of it. It was actually elegant. It was quite elegantly simple, but the principle was take resources the federal government has and channel them into investments in the equity markets. And what the Social Security actuaries will tell you is if you look back over 50, 75 years, that they tend to look in 75 year periods that the real rate of return on a mix of investments of 60% corporate stock and 40% high-grade corporate or debt is about 5.3%. Over 75 years, the cost of the federal government borrowing money in real terms is about 3%. So imagine a, a, that you're able to take trillions of dollars that cost you 3% and over a sustained long-term period, get a return of 5.3. It's mind-blowing. And without getting into all the details of how we were going to move money, it was basically set up private accounts for every Social Security beneficiary, put money in there. They would get to choose how we invested it, but they could only choose from a mutual fund that would replicate the 60-40 mix. And the consequences of it over the 75 year horizon that treasurer joint or social security actuaries look at was like breathtaking. But here's the problem 
it meant dipping into federal resources for some time period before you would start to see the return on what you were doing. And the return would come when somebody reached Social Security eligibility age and part of their benefit would be paid from these amounts that had been put aside. So that would not have to come from the Social Security Trust Fund. But the turn in terms of that investment paying off was like 20, 25 years. We've just blown through 25 years yep. in, in which we could have been building towards this. So is it replicable again? I'm not sure. And I would have to get back involved and do again what I did in 98 to get to the bottom of that. So do you have an idea of what's going to happen though? Where are they just going to extend? Cause you, I've heard you on other interviews where you're just like, you, we can't just continue to print. There gets to a point where you can't continue to bail yourself out. Yes. But it's hard for me to imagine because that's what we always did. So let me give you two answers. One's not so great. Okay. The last time the social security system was reformed was in 1983. I I was on the Ways and Means staff. That legislation was signed into law by President Reagan around April, early May of 19, of 1983, okay? Why? Because the checks weren't going to go out in June. That's how close we came to hitting the wall. So, so that is not reassuring, okay? People are starting to talk about Social Security, although unfortunately it's in very political tones. And the only way you fix something like Social Security is in a bipartisan effort. So I'm not real hopeful that we're going to see something very constructive probably until the next administration or at least until t- 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 uh, 2025. And, and we don't have a lot of time left. That's you said this very cleanly. It's like social security. There's only a couple moving pieces. It's time value of money and we're running out of time. I don't know if we don't really have the time to invest a lot of money over here. Uh-huh. I don't, I so that's, I'm genuinely curious to being what's going to happen, but you and I both know that they'll do something because they're not, you're not going to be the president that doesn't say that would be, that's a no start. So what's going to happen? Are they just going to rob from another? pension fund or like so, what? so just to confirm what happens if they don't do something when we hit 2033 we have this social security trust fund and i wouldn't want your viewers to know this but there's nothing of value in it but we pretend there is because okay. that one it's like the fdic insurance it's maybe even worse because the way it works is when incoming social security taxes are greater than outgoing benefits so you have a surplus. The way the social security system works is that surplus is quote, invested in treasury bills, but they're non-negotiable, non-redeemable. So in other words, they have no value, but we operate on the fiction that there's something of value in the trust fund. We're drawing down the trust fund right now because we've reached the point where outgoing benefits are greater than incoming taxes. We hit the wall when we no longer have anything left in the trust fund, even the fiction that I just talked about. At that point, incoming taxes are only enough to pay about 75% of outgoing benefits. Politically, I ask you, is it politically possible 
that the Congress and whoever's in the White House would let a 25% reduction in the value of Social Security benefits to seniors happen. And keeping in mind that people talk about anti-poverty programs all the time, Social Security is the single most effective anti-poverty program ever created. Back when Social Security was created, the worst off segment of society were the elderly. Today, the best off segment of society are the elderly. Yep. And Social Security is a significant reason for that. I'm convinced Congress, whoever's in the White House, will not let this happen. But exactly what the path to a solution is. It's, it, higher taxes, that's the path. Like, that's, would they figure out a way to... Because you're saying that you could delay age. That's That was my talking point for a while. But what you're saying is, great, you're winning on this side. But the other side, the disability fund will just go lower. So the only other way that you could do that is invest better, which they don't, they're not going to do or raise, raise taxes. And a lot of states, you're seeing a lot of states figure out like Minnesota and other states that are figuring out like these other additional tax where people can go on leave and stuff. And so wouldn't that be the most logical thing that so, so, another tax? And so the only thing I would say to that is raising taxes is really hard, even for a great reason. Okay. And I don't think that the solution is so, fixing Social Security is going to be only raising taxes because politically, I just don't see how that happens. Now, it might be part of the solution, but before we can even start to get close to knowing what a solution is going to look like, we have to have serious people engaged in a serious negotiation and we're not there. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.